0: In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome to episode 12 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, here with my co host Patrick. I am consciousness. I am alive. I am Patrick. Uh, And I have no way to follow that up, so I guess that means we will just get started, eh?
1: Sounds good to me, Aaron. Look, I do want to tell our listeners that if you are tuning in for the first time, you can find more episodes at feelingfilm.com and all of your major podcasting directories like iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use to download said podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook where we have a discussion group that provides a place to talk about all of our episodes, and all sorts of other movie and entertainment topics. But with that being said, let's get after it.
0: So Chappie is director Neil Blomkamp's third feature film following the smash sci-fi hit District 9 and the less positively received Elysium. The synopsis goes like this. In the near future, crime is patrolled by a mechanized police force. When one police droid, Chappie, is stolen and given new programming, he becomes the first robot with the ability to think and feel for himself. It's kind of interesting to read that, Patrick, because it's absolutely true, but it tells you not anything about what you're ex- about to experience when you go into
1: this. Movie. <laughs> that is absolutely true, man. I would not have gotten anything from that after viewing this movie. It would have felt like t- almost two different movies with a little hint of the the synopsis yeah the plot so um uh,
0: so basically what we have is another ai story which you and i are both big fans of in general we we love contemplating thinking about these big big science fiction ideas of, of ai and uh, robot consciousness the story features hugh jackman uh bl- <laughs> it was waiting for that <laughs> um favorite charlito copley uh he does the mocap and the voice work for chappie a very good job i might say. And South African electronic rap duo Die Antwoord, and it's I, actually, well, I think it's pronounced D Antwoord. D Antwoord. Okay, good because I'm sure we're going to mention that again. So D Antwoord, I'll remember that. The film has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 32 percent and an audience score of about 56 percent. So generally not received well at all, either critics and fans, and that's part of why we decided to cover it. As always, there will be spoilers, so proceed with caution. So, Patrick, when I was looking at these Rotten Tomato scores, um, I knew that I had liked the movie when I saw it last summer, and so I went back and I looked up my review on Letterboxd to see what I had said. And I would like to kick us off by reading this review and by framing it as putting everyone in the, the perspective of this review was written nine months ago. or or, I'm sorry in July of last year. So nine months before feeling film came into existence before this idea was born. Okay. So not only does this review briefly describe my feelings on the film, but I think there's some pretty neat stuff in here. So I just want to read this real quick. Okay. I need to start off by admitting that I almost did not watch Chappie. I have remained a fan of Blomkamp despite the mediocre work in Elysium But when review after review and friend after friend told me how awful this film was, I began to think it was a waste of my time. I love smart science fiction. I didn't want to subject myself to a mockery of it. Then my best friend, Patrick, and I had a discussion about watching films from a different perspective. We agreed to start looking for the good moments that all movies, even the awful ones, have. He challenged me to watch Chappie and report back with the best moments. Never once to back down from that kind of thing, I accept it. Crazy, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I barely remember that. But yeah, I,
0: I barely think. remembered it too, but Feelin' Film was born from Chappie nine months before Feelin' Film actually came into existence. That is that is awesome.
1: That's insane. That's insane, but great.
0: It is. And and so that's really the cool part of the review that I wanted to, to note, but I'm going to go ahead and read the last bit of this because this frames my initial thoughts and then we'll jump right into yours. For the first 45 minutes or so, heck, maybe even longer, I thought that I had made a huge mistake. Almost everything about the film, in my mind, was bad, and I almost turned it off. Thank goodness I didn't, though. Somewhere toward the end of the film, Blomkamp finds his way. His big ideas and love for huge action pieces are finally married into one heck of an ending sequence. The story becomes meaningful, the acting gets better, the action becomes raw and visceral instead of silly, and the science fiction ideas come on like a tidal wave. I then found myself torn because I hated the film for half of it and loved the rest. In the end, it made me think, which is what great science fiction does. It stayed with me and resonated, and the highest praise I can give the film is to simply say this, I'd watch it again. And here we are, talking about Chappie, and I did watch it again. And I actually liked it more and would say that those first 45 minutes that I didn't like the first time, I loved this time around, so awesome. that that's awesome. my uh, initial impressions of chappie a little long winded but um little history too, and I just think it's so neat that we had been kicking this idea around and almost almost subconsciously, which is ironic, considering what we're talking about here in this movie um but almost subconsciously, like this idea was born, and then you know it marinated between us over this nine month period until it came into the existence of a podcast that we're doing right now. I just, I just love, I love that. And that's going to be part of our, our story forever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's so fantastic. Just to know that, that this movie kicked off an idea that now we're actually coming around to talk about the movie without realizing that it's the one that kicked us off. So I don't know if I even make sense, but (laughs) that sort of makes sense in my head. (laughs) Well, it makes sense to me. Why don't you uh,
0: tell us what you thought about the film? Because this was your first time seeing it, right? Actually, it was my
1: second because, remember, I recommended it to you.
0: Oh, that's – duh.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> then tell us what you thought. Well, I was um, – like you, I was brought in because uh, I like Camp in um, District 9. just blew me away in terms of being a really great movie. came out of left field in terms of what he does. Elysium um, was – I enjoyed it. Not as much as as District 9. And then I remember in some of the um, reading that I was doing before Elysium came out, hearing about this short story that he had written that he was going to make into a feature film. And of course, what drew me to it was that it was AI It was about AI, but it also had Hugh Jackman in it. And I was a little sad, man, for two reasons, because one, Hugh Jackman is a quote unquote bad guy in this. And two, he's got really bad hair. You know, this is like just South African mullet. I don't know what it is, but (laughs) I have double sad face. I'm like, I'm used to seeing Hugh Jackman doing his, uh, you know, doing his Wolverine kind of look or some of his like kind of uh, just American cuts or whatever. But more more than anything, just seeing him as a bad guy kind of kind of made me sad, but not enough to not see the movie. And so my initial impressions of it were a lot like yours. It took a minute to kind of get into the movie itself. I had. Um, I had expectations going in that it was going to be a commentary of some kind using some fantasy elements. But I found myself, as the movie went on, gravitating more to the idea of the simplicity of it. Even amidst the some of the really great CG and the action sequences, the story itself was simple. And because of the simplicity of it, I wasn't trying to think too much about going crazy deep into the themes and it turned out to be a lot of fun to watch. It's a beautifully made movie. I, I just, there are so many different pieces and parts that I loved watching just from a viewer's perspective and the story itself, while not really the greatest in his, in his catalog of the ones I've seen of those three, it still stood up to me as a, as a great uh, Blomkamp movie.
0: Awesome. So that I guess means that we both feel pretty much the same way about it. We are in Pretty stark opposition to that—that 32 percent that, that, that uh, the Rotten Tomato meters seem to have. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think that a lot of the negativity surrounding this one, uh, you know, came from the aesthetic of where he chose to uh, set set the film. You know, I mean, and Neil always, I think he, I believe he is South African, and so it's typical for him to set his films with some sort of a South African setting. Uh, but this one was kind of out there. I, I gotta tell you the opening scene of this movie or the opening, I, you know, it's not even an opening s- scene, but the way that this film opens was, uh, very, very well done. In my opinion, I love that they use a documentary slash newsfeed type setting to explain things and what's going on like we open with some interviews about what had happened in the past and kind of documentary style and then we end up going backwards in time a little bit to have some news footage of you know these scouts in action and um, you know how the crime rates dropped and we even get like an Anderson Cooper cameo in there Um, and that (laughs) that rolls forward in what I felt was kind of one long opening sequence all the way into the initial, you know, drug dealers meeting and the scouts coming in to bust that up. And it's just an incredible action sequence. And so I love how he uses that documentary, the news all the way into, you know, this huge action set piece all right there in the beginning of the movie. It's, it's, it's all given to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and when I when I see that it it's definitely a reminder. It harkened back to I believe District Nine had a similar opening sequence because it gets you kind of right into the the action of this is the world we're we're living in. I mean, it's Joburg, it's his hometown. I mean, it's it's definitely homegrown stuff, but we get a lot of exposition in probably five minutes of the the newsreel combined with the action sequences. And I was like you, that's one thing that that I noticed as well, was I love the, the realistic touches that he adds to it. Because, I mean, we know, at least not right now, that these robots don't actually exist. I mean, they could in some form in some lab, but they're not living among us doing police work. But having that grounded, realistic touch of Anderson Cooper and some other um, action news feeds... Really added to a little bit of connectivity for me.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it, it grounded the film and and it made us easily connect to the world. You know, it, it, it's a to me it's a very believable future, and I love that in my science fiction. I mean, you know, there's a place for science fantasy like Star Wars and and other things that are in other universes or or even in our own that is so far in the future that things are just completely different. But in this one, I mean, it's it's a conceivable idea that hey 20 years from now there could be robot policemen and that's really all that's different in the world everything else is the same crime rates the same people are still living in slums people are still in in crime because they have they feel they have no other option or nowhere else to go um it's it's just the same setting but you just kind of plop kind of like robocop actually it's kind of like robocop right
1: yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I first watched this, and even the sec- second time around, two movies popped out to me. I feel like the ideas presented in this movie, visually, uh, the, the, just all this, a lot of the stuff that was in this movie, was, was not necessarily new ideas, new visuals necessarily, but more of a, a repurposing of two movies that I loved growing up, and that one was RoboCop and two was Short Circuit. I clearly connected the character of Chappie uh, with the character of Johnny Five, a an, an AI robot that somehow gained from some, for some reason gained sentience or gained the ability to think for himself. And those two movies and the themes presented in those were really dumped into this one as well. But I think that they worked quite well for this one. I think that Blomkamp used whether or not he was influenced by those or not. I think that they were repurposed and, um, refreshed in this movie and they worked out really well.
0: Man, that's a great pickup. I had not even made the short circuit connection. I feel kind of dense for that because it's one of my favorite films. I'm actually looking over here at my shelf right now, looking at the film sitting there on my, on my bookshelf. Um, I love short circuit and you're absolutely right. And it, and it actually it follows somewhat of a similar arc of the, the newly conscious robot having to go through this learning experience where he's taught. He, he doesn't know what the world is like around him. He almost, almost like a baby and he has to learn all of this stuff from scratch. So, uh, that's, that's really a great pool. I, I don't know why I never, I guess I focus too much on the action side of it too um, to get that cause short circuits, obviously not super heavy on the, uh, the action side.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. And speaking <laughs> of,
0: Oh, go ahead. Speaking of action. Um, it just, I just wanted to point out that I love Blomkamp's camp's style of filmmaking in general. We talked a little bit about the use of different ideas, like doc documentary news, things like that. But Along with Zack Snyder, and I don't care what people out there listening think when I said this, because I know I just got a ton of groans and people are probably people might have just turned us off. So, you know what? If you're turning us back on now to see if we're, we're done talking about Zack Snyder, we're not. We like him. Um, <laughs> but seriously, Zack Snyder has a unique style of visual storytelling. And Blomkamp is right up there with him. Um, he uses so many different techniques. Even just in that opening sequence that we were talking about, you know, there's there's a constant use of not a constant there's there's a frequent use of slow motion, um, where where bullets will come you know popping out of a gun with a shell casing kind of slowly ejecting, or a ro- when Chappie gets hit with the RPG in the chest, he kind of slow motion goes through the the door, um, yeah. and then there's he uses first person POV, he kind of every once in a while he'll switch into this first person either for a a robot with a weapon Uh, most of the time it's a it's a robot's point of view he'll he'll switch into a first person point of view for the robot which is cool we get to see like a different screen it's almost like you're playing a video game
1: yeah yeah
0: and then it's just the like his unique gang depiction to me was (laughs) i understand how people can on the surface see deantward and the way that, in general, the gangs in the South African city um, are are being depicted and be kind of turned off. But I think they're being turned off because it's not something they've seen before. And so they're rejecting something new because they find it as silly and it just they're not – they can't connect the dots in their head right away as to, like, it's not something they remember and they can recall and they can easily put in a box – as, oh, this is what this is.
1: Right, right. And I, and I think you hit on something really, really good in that I think what Blomkamp does well with his visuals, a lot like Snyder does, is he knows how to use spectacle to tell his story. I think the strength of both those guys, and I'm just going to stick with Blomkamp because that's who we're talking about, let's not get off on a Snyder tangent, is the fact that he uses slow-mo when it's necessary to really show details of something to kind of get you to absorb the moment as opposed to showing everything in slow-mo, as opposed to showing everything in regular time. It's as if he's saying, I want my audience to really, really feel this impact. So when, so when Chappie, before he becomes Chappie, number 22, is he the scout 22? Yeah. Number when 22. He gets number 22, as opposed to number five. <laughs> um, He is, he's hit with the RPG and then it's slowly, you know, he gets blown away and then it speeds up of showing him into the wall. But that's different than his confrontation with Vincent near the end of the film where he is just going off and just beating the crap out of, out of Vincent. None of that I don't believe is slow motion. And I think what we're doing is we're getting two different emotions there. What we're getting is like an, oh, With the first one, whereas by the end of the movie, when Chappie is going off on Vincent, we want him to just beat the mess out of him. And so we see that in real time and we're like punching with him. At least I was. I was like, yeah, yeah, do that. And you just because he's he's reacting. He's he's not doing anything strategically or systematically. He's got emotion behind him. And to see that in slow motion, I think would take away from that. So I think Blomkamp does a really great job of using his effects um <laughs> effectively, instead of just saying, Hey, this is a cool shot, let's do this.
0: That was a really good sentence.
1: <laughs>
0: hey, so since you brought up Vincent and that specific scene there at the end with Chappie going after him, um that leads into one of the things I wanted to to bring up to talk about and ask you. So okay. Vincent as a character is an interesting creation. Um he's a former soldier, you know, and engineer who well, he calls himself an engineer, but really he's a soldier, as Dion points out. And, you know, he wants to be able to use his moose uh, to... I don't know. I, I almost think it's an ego. I think it's an ego kind of thing with him. You know, he wants to be the guy. He wants to be the man doing the, the thing. Um, and yet we, we kind of get this extra little throw-in of him being religious at different times. He, he makes a joke about going to church... Um, he crosses himself as if, I guess, he's Catholic. Um, it, it, happens, it comes up a couple times, right? Um, right? And so in the beginning, as he's explaining what his goals are for the moose, he comes off as if he truly, he wants to do the morally right thing mm-hmm. because he wants for humans to make the decisions and not AI robots. But he then ends up taking completely immoral actions in order to achieve this supposedly righteous goal that he has. And I, so I've, I have a couple, I have a question about that. One is that, is it worth it? How, how do we, how do we look at him as a character and what his motivations were and his actions in trying to achieve what his goal was? And then at the end we have Chappie who is literally while screaming, no violence is committing extreme violence and I found that incredibly hypocritical. Um, and how do, we, how do we look at that? Because the first, the first place my, my mind went when I saw that scene was spanking, the debate about child spanking, you know, and how some parents believe that spanking is fine. It's a, it's a deterrent, which is kind of the, what we got to see in this film, where, you know, you get to see him being violent, and then at the end he says, Chappie forgives you, and he stops. And then there's the other side – that believes that you're just teaching violence by using violence. You can't deny, you can't stop violence by using it. So where did you land on that? And did you even pull, did you notice, or did you get any of that hypocrisy from either of those two things?
1: I didn't, but that's a really great point that you made. If I'm looking at Vincent, I think that he, just thinking about it, he would be representative of, I think, any one of us that sees the danger of AI. I think that's definitely a theme that's explored in a lot of movies like this, where we wonder what would happen if we gave um, non-organic beings the power to think for themselves. And I think that you're right that I think he's driven both by ego and by fear in some cases. But I, I also look at him and I go, he is a guy that I had some sympathy for because he was sort of being pushed to the side. And I remember specifically him trying to convince the, I guess it's the, uh, the South African police to give his robot another shot or to, to look at this stuff. And, um, and they just sort of wrote him off. And then there's this really great moment where he goes into the bathroom and he washes his face and he looks at himself and he shakes his head like, man, he's distraught. And then you see this moment where – he looks and he goes, wait a minute, I've got an idea. He doesn't say anything. He didn't even say it to himself, but you know that something's about to be plotted. And I think that moment switched his perspective, switched his philosophy, his morality from, it's not right for artificial intelligence to make decisions to, I'm going to get my point across at any cost. And I think that superseded that. Um, and so, but with, regarding to, with regards to Chappie, And the hypocrisy thing, um, it really made me think a lot about how um, the influences in his life that we got for an hour and a half shaped who he was. And it made me want to ask, I'm going to be Socratic here, and I'm going to ask another question to help answer this one. Um, We have three different influences, essentially, for Chappie. We have Dev Patel's character. um, Dion. Dion, thank you, who, by the way, I think needs a life outside of computers, because that guy (laughs) has no friends. I think he needs more people in his life.
0: He gets a Uh, life quite, quite literally. uh, Yes, he does.
1: Man, I I think we're going to become a pun podcast if we're not, if we're not, we'll start,
0: we'll start another one and call it the pun podcast,
1: pun podcast, just (laughs) for pun, just for pun, just for, oh my goodness,
0: (laughs) rabbit trail. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Three influences.
1: yeah, three influences. So we have we have Dion, and then we have the mother and father figure in DeAntwoord. And so the question is, which influence was right for Chappie? By the end of the movie, which influence was right?
0: It, can I answer go, that? Yeah, go for it. I think it shows us that all are necessary in some way because there are bits and pieces of each influence. That define Chappie in a positive way. There are pieces of each influence, which maybe, with the exception of Yolandi as the mother, um, influence him in a negative way as well. Um, Dion is, you know, that's one of the things I pulled out. Being able to, ah, man, I really love watching movies a second time. I, I never, I'm in a quick tangent, but I never used to do that until we started talking about them in depth, and it is such a great experience because the first time you just sit back, you really just get to take it in and enjoy something and be entertained. And the next time you can just watch for everything and pick up on so much more that you didn't notice. And so for me, that's one of the things that I picked up on this time was Dion also has an ego. And there's this whole thing of, you know, like I'm your creator. So respect me. He actually, He actually says that at one point, um, the, the exact quote was, uh, Chappie, please have respect for me. I'm your maker. And it's like, he's, he's beckoning to him to, he hasn't earned anything other than, you know, turning, uh, putting a a mini USB drive into him. Like that's, well, I I guess he's designed him, but I mean, he hasn't earned that respect yet, but he, he believes that he should because he simply made Chappie. Um, so he's got a little bit of, you know, skin in the game so to speak too and of course ninja is you know very surface level obvious that you know his negative what his negative influences
1: so right and i'll oh, go ahead sorry i didn't interrupt no
0: it's okay i so i'm just i think that all three are very important in the formation of who Chappie is up to this point in his his life and i think that they're all three necessary And I think that it's very realistically shown because like us, you know, your mother and your father are incredibly important uh, in your development, but they're also going to, you know, there's going to be things that you gain from both of them that may someone at some point in life may consider to be a negative.
1: Boom. You just hit the point I was going to make. So slam dunk for you, buddy. I think that any, yeah, (laughs) any, There was a quote that I saw on the web when I was doing some research for this movie, and I love this quote. It says, the most dangerous aspect of AI is human influence. And what I'm drawing from this movie is that even if AI is explored as chappy, having the ability to learn and think for himself, doesn't the variety of influence still promote a serious risk since the ideas of each of his influence imprint on his worldview, both positively and negatively? I mean, we can make the argument that that... Um, that Dion was doing what was right in his own eyes, but his worldview isn't necessarily right because I think Chappie needed, he needed to learn. He needed a mother. He needed to be shown that he was different, but that uh, that was okay. He needed to be able to defend himself because he was looked at as different by people that wanted to to hurt him because he was seen as a threat to criminals or whatever, but he also needed to know how to learn and develop and gain vocabulary. So I think what happens is when any influence is imparted on someone, whether it's a child or in in this case, a robot, you're going to just because of our, because of selfishness and because of self-motivation, self-preservation that, that imprint is going to have both positive and negative consequences. And you have to kind of take the good with the bad. And I think that's what the exploration of Chappie was, was, and, and I think why he, I think I saw him struggle with that. I saw him as a robot struggle with having to do the heist because even by the end, he wanted to do the heist for his own motivation. He wanted to save his own life. It wasn't like he was doing something for somebody else. He inherited this sense of self-preservation and self selfishness, in a sense. And so, in a sense, he sort of became human.
0: He, he really did. And I think I, that's one of the things that, that Blomkamp does so well in his films is he has these man. I mean, he goes big. His ideas are big. And if you don't allow yourself to, or I guess, let me start that over. If you do allow yourself to get too focused on the bright yellow assault rifle or (laughs) the, you know, incredibly huge TV stereo system to watch he man, um, you know, and these, these, these stylistic, craziness of his world if you allow yourself to get too distracted by that stuff and not even think about the you can just you can miss it completely
1: yeah i i I agree speaking of the craziness um you picked up on a couple of things the um (laughs) the technicolor world of the of of the gang as i like to call them and even even their their names their costume their costumes their their outfits everything felt very over the top and i think that is a a positive of his world because again we were introduced to that early on and so we kind of accepted that like okay we clearly know who the quote unquote bad guys are at least at the beginning but um it was also again fun to watch fun to kind of see that these guys weren't if they're were going to hold assault rifles they were going to be painted neon green and yellow and it was one of those things where i was like yep I like it. Let's keep going. And then we get introduced to D Antward, who um, I did some offline research. These guys are just as crazy in real life. So they were not necessarily type. They were typecast. They were playing themselves, essentially, even taking on their same names. So it wasn't like we were getting a, I won't say unrealistic. We were getting an unfamiliar world, but it wasn't unrealistic to, to Blomkamp when he hired these guys.
0: You know, that is a great point, And that brings... That, that brings us to a, a perfect segue for something I wanted to talk about. So I tweeted out this morning that we were going to be uh, watching the film and, and talk where well, we had been. Wa- we'd watched the film and we were going to be talking about it tonight and asked if anyone had any questions or topics that they want us to cover. Something that I think we might try and do more often. Uh, if we can remember to, I love, I love hearing what the listeners come up with and seeing if there's something that I didn't, or maybe we missed. Um, in this case, Someone responded, uh, and his name is Sean Lewis, and he goes by uh, Sean Talks Movies on Twitter, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, and he asked us to try and figure out Blomkamp's obsession with D. Antword. So I did try to figure it out, and in doing so, I located a 2015 interview um, from Collider, the website, and it was really interesting. Here's, I'm gonna just, I'm just going to read some of Blomkamp's uh, quotes. And I think that's, that's the best thing you can do because it's right from the horse's mouth. This is, this is why he chose them. He says, I didn't want to make the film unless they were in it. What I was aware of that I knew I was going to come out on top, no matter what was not so much the acting. It was that they are naturally people that have some weird magnetism about them. They draw people in like you're interested in them. And I thought that it didn't really matter whether they are good or not. The magnetic weirdness of them being on screen would overshadow everyone else and everything else. And then, as it turned out, they could actually do it. So it was the best of both worlds. First of all, there's no one in the world like them. They're completely unique. You can't get that same result with some other rapper, I don't think. Knowing that I couldn't replace them with someone, it had to be them. And I just think that that is so perfect. Like, he... He made an artistic, inspired choice to use them. This was not, this was not an accident. This was not a poor decision um, or a poor choice because he was trying to make a mockery of filmmaking or, or make a joke. He had a vision for a film and he put them in it because they fit his vision for the film. And I, I think it was an inspired choice. Some people think it was a major mistake. I don't know. But that's, that's from him and why he used them. Where do you land on the use of them in this movie?
1: It took me a little bit to catch up with that, that, that good value of them. I was a little taken aback by seeing them at first. Um, but as, as the film went on, and again, like you, I believe movies need to be seen more than once in order to get their full value, because especially when you're in a theater watching this or even catching this like on a date night or whatever, when you're watching it the first time you have certain preconceived notions the first time around. And so you take away stuff against that preconceived notion. But the second time you watch it, um, it's, it's, it's important at least to me to be able to capture some of those, some of those details. And I, I'm still not completely on board with his casting choice because they seemed a little out there for me. Um, But knowing that those guys weren't that he brought them in for that specific reason from an artistic standpoint, I may not completely agree with it, but I completely understand it and respect it. And I love the fact that I believe I read that they actually helped design the sets for their hideout. So it, it, it wasn't like he said, here's a crazy rap group. Let's try to really exacerbate their, uh, their look and feel by creating their hideout for them. No, these guys said, we're going to stylize it according to who we are. So to know that going in, we know that his choice was based on the vision he saw for them as real people and not necessarily for what they could be.
0: Yeah, totally, man. And I, you know, the first time I saw it when you, when I read that review earlier, that's what I was talking about. When I said the first 45 minutes, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And it was because of them because I was distracted and because I was just, I couldn't, I was, it was unexpected. So unexpected to me that I, I just was like, w- what is happening here? Like this is supposed to be a sci-fi movie. Like every other sci-fi movie I've seen about AI and it's nothing like that. What is going on? Um, the second time, knowing what I was expecting oh my gosh, I loved it, I love them, I can't imagine this film without them, I can't imagine it being nearly as impactful uh, without them, I I mean, you could have made the film in Detroit and set it with a different type of gang and a different type of um, group that Chappie ends up getting roped into, and maybe you would have gotten a different film that would have been okay or just as good, but you couldn't have set it in South Africa like this uh, and not not done it justice by being, uh, true to what Blomkamp, you know, sees and what he experiences. And, and I just, I just applaud him even for, for people. And I know that you do as well. So even, even though it's not, I'm probably higher on them than you are. You and I both see the, um, incredible, uh, amount of F, I guess the amount of strength it takes to make an artistic decision like this and we appreciate it.
1: Well, I'll tell you where they did not fall short was their dialogue. I thought that group had some of the most fantastic lines in the entire movie. One of my favorites was when <laughs> when Chappie comes to life for the first time and Ninja points a gun at Dion's head and he goes, <laughs> okay, this is my best South African accent. You gave me a retarded robot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man
0: it's it's so it's like constant i mean it is everything these guys are saying is hilarious and he's you know he calls them he's like like an indestructible robot gangster number one son and it's just <laughs> i mean it's so dumb and you know we're a clean podcast but honestly the misuse of a common uh curse word in this film is actually pretty hilarious i have to admit the way that chappie kind of botches it and messes it up it almost makes it less of like a an offensive thing and more of just like oh come on you know it's so realistic um but yeah I mean it, it's great even even Hugh Jackman gets a great line one of my favorite lines is Hugh Jackman and he's uh Vincent and he's he's got uh he's got Dion against the desk and he's quote-unquote playing a prank by having a gun put to his head let me tell yeah. you that man needs a, a counselor because that is not that is not or a prank or a hug <laughs> he, or a lot of he needs a care bear stare, but like, he says you make me as cross as a frog in a sock man, and I was like what? And I paused it and I rewound. It. I, I listened to it three times and I and I had to like I had to like stop and think. I had to picture it. I was like I was picturing okay, there's a frog in a sock. What? Oh oh yeah, that would really suck for that frog. So then you know I kind of I'd never heard that expression before.
1: Yeah, I think. And I I, for myself, I think what made it so funny, what made the dialogue so funny is, you know, hearing you or I say these lines isn't funny. But I think when you combine it with really authentic accents and done with the visuals that assist in that, it doubles the fun. Like I remember it's in that same sequence with Vincent and Dion. And right before he kind of goes off on him, he's uh, Dion's looking at looking up like child development website stuff. And Vincent sneaks up on him. And Vincent's whole invitation to Dion to go work out with him, because you see these two guys. You have Dev Patel, who's this like scrawny, IT looking dude. And then you have Hugh Jackman, who's like this big, bulky, you know, probably played rugby, military guy. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, but you know, if you, you want to go you know work out with me, you know, you can just we could hit the hit the big bag or something like that. Just that whole dialogue was cracking me up because you knew how much. Um, Vincent was just sort of sizing him up and trying to intimidate him. And then, of course, he goes off and and does that. But I think the visual jokes for me really uh, were just as strong as the as the dialogue itself. And uh, I think you can probably agree with me that the funniest scene in the entire movie was the sequence where Chappie is um, is stealing the cars.
0: Oh, hands down. Han-
1: absolutely. Yeah. I I I don't even remember half the lines. I just remember laughing so hard. And he just kept going. You stole Daddy's car. You give Daddy's car back. And the first the first time he does it, he basically just destroys the car.
0: And they're like, No, no, it's no, not no, what no, we no. meant. That's not it. That's not it.
1: Oh man, so much fun. And I think credit to the to the writing because Blomkamp he could he could go all. Just straight up like comedy or you go straight up like drama and he mixes this really well like he has some great again just like his special effects he uses things sparingly enough to get your your interest but not enough to bore you and I think the dialogue and those particular scenes really helped um, sell that in particular I think it's the scene where America tries to teach uh, Chappie how to dap and the first time he does it he just (laughs) Chappie just like bam, <laughs> on his, on his, on his uh, knuckles. He's like, ow. And so for the rest of the film, when America's giving him daps, he, he like does a fast and then he comes in slow. And so I, I can't describe it. It's a, it you, have to, you have to be there. You have to watch it. But you know what I'm talking about, right?
0: I do, I do. And that's something I noted as well is probably my second funniest moment in the entire movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so just really good. Kudos to, to Blomkamp and his, his team for doing that stuff.
0: Yeah, the America character is actually really cool. I think, I think that could have been a mistake you know, it's it's a little on the nose. He goes by America, and he's clearly it's funny because he's actually Hispanic, but, um, uh, but he um or Latino actually, I think he's Latino, but he you know it seems like he's the guy from America. He has the regular American accent, right. um, and you know they call him America, which makes sense, right? That seems like something that they would do. Uh, but he's he's great. He provides another influence and level of never another, another type of uh you know growth for Chappie. Um, and he comes in a couple of different times uh, and he he ends up balancing out Yolandi and Ninja and there are two extremes uh, in really cool ways. And I just, I, I liked him a lot. And of course his death scene, holy cow, that was, uh, that was unexpected. But <laughs> having had yeah. his body thrown against the wall.
1: Yeah, I um I, I liked him as well. And I thought it was pretty funny that he was cast or that the character's name is America. I mean, it's just... And what I what I like is that each person, um, we don't necessarily get to see this a lot. With, uh, I mean, it's a small cast. It's not a huge cast, but each character that has a somewhat significant role has a their motivation is is known by the end of the film. Um, I know for America, he wanted to get back. I think he apparently been stuck there. So, for doing the heist, he was going to have enough money to go back home. Um, and what I like about that is, I like, I like when, when, when directors and writers and a whole creative team are able to take flat characters and round them out. So, when we see D'Antwoord and we see that first forty-five minutes that you mentioned, and we see flat characters, we see extreme characterizations of a gang that may or may not exist. And by the end of the film, we actually start caring a little bit more so than we thought, not only about Chappie, but also about Dion, about D'Antwoord, about America. Um, I think the only person that we don't necessarily care about is Vincent, who's more of a, you know, he, he's a, he's a villain, although he's an understandable villain. And I think from, from that perspective, I really liked being able to get to know these characters in a little bit more of an in-depth way, even though they weren't as fleshed out as I thought. Um, particularly for a, for a almost two hour movie. I, uh, I did, I think that was one of my small criticisms is that I felt like there was, there was not a lot, there was, there was enough characterization to get me satisfied, but not enough to get me going. Ah, yeah, I really love this about so-and-so and this about so-and-so. I really only got to know a couple of the characters more than, than the others.
0: So, yeah, you know, that's a great, another great segue, uh, from, for you actually, because I wanted to, Just real briefly, see if we had anything we wanted to mention negatively, you know, about the film to be to be fair, any honest criticisms, things we might have done a little differently or we would have liked to seen done differently. Um, And I'll just throw mine out there because I really only have one. And it's it's a big deal, but it didn't ruin the movie for me, Um, clearly. I mean, I I'm a big fan of the movie, actually, Uh, but it's the reason it couldn't end up being a five star movie for me. And that is that Blomkamp sometimes almost gets too big for his britches. And his his mind is so incredible and out there, his ideas, that he doesn't quite land or stick the landing. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I think I can sum this up by saying that sometimes it's best to ask the question and not answer it. And he tries to answer the question in a lot of ways in this film about consciousness and the transference of it. And so while the end of the movie, I like because it's a feel good ending and I enjoy that everybody is okay. And that there's no, no death from our main, you know, main characters. We all, we all essentially get to go on and move forward. I'm not sold on the way we get there by, by, you know, transferring Chappy Consciousness file from our PlayStation <laughs> um, into a helmet and then into a newly created robot—like it's just it—it yeah. it kind of loses the science at that point, and so it doesn't land there. I don't know. Did you did you have any? Ne- That's my only negative for this entire movie for me. But what did you think?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the you said it best when you said he he has trouble sticking his landing on this one when it comes to it's it's almost as if you have this really great thing going and you only have like it's like you're, you're you're writing an essay for 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 a class uh for an exam or something and you have like five minutes left so you say and then they all died, and the end you know it's that kind of thing where i felt like you rushed the ending and i didn't i didn't like the idea of seeing consciousness on a on a sony bio you know i thought that was kind of dumb but I I need some kind of sacrifice. I mean, here we are seeing these guys fighting and, and going back and forth, and sometimes a happy ending doesn't do it for me. I I can see Chappie going into an, another AI, but to see to see his maker do that, um, I, I don't I don't I just I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that. Um, that creation suddenly has control over its creator. And I thought that was kind of, kind of weird to me.
0: Yeah. I was going to mention that, um, without going too deep into it theologically. Um, I mean, that was, that was kind of a, that bothered me as well. Even, even from a storytelling standpoint, like take, take our religious view, take any religious view out of it. Looking at it from a storytelling perspective, your, your creation should not have as much control over the creator. Like you're saying, like if what, what's the point of being a creator? like how can you be a creator? Right.
1: Um,
0: if you know, your creation has to save you, it's just, it was just, it was very backwards. And well, at
1: the, yeah, at the very least, I would say this, that by doing that, it almost gave Chappie this omnipotent power. Like he had the ability to do it. And it would have, for me, it would have been even more of a payoff to have him go through that sequence and it not work or to go through that sequence and him transfer it to not not quick enough to have Dion die anyway. I mean, I don't want Dion to die. I like Dion. Dion's a good guy. To you make know? him to make Chappie fallible. Exactly, because I don't I don't think he, that's the message that you want to portray is that Chappie can do anything. He just needs to download consciousness of anybody that he wants to save for the rest of his life. I mean, that was again, it was reiterated with his mom. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to be fallible to me. But again, it's just me as a fan. And if, if Blomkamp likes the happy ending, then, then so be it. I, um, you know, I thought, uh, as far as, as far as the film as a whole, I know it came from a short story. And, uh, one of the things that, that, that I was thinking about was there have been comparisons of Neil Blomkamp to M. Night Shyamalan in terms of having a really great freshman outing and then having some deviations thereafter. And, you know, I can see that. I mean, I can see that there were some missteps here and that in some ways the movie itself felt a little bloated, you know, coming from a short story. But the truth is, it's a simple story and it came from a simple, simple source, expecting it to be something elaborate, and in-depth, something like Like District Nine may not have been the best course of action, but when I took it on its own merit, instead of comparing it to other ones, I really enjoyed it. Had this been the first movie that I'd seen of his, I would have probably upped my personal star from three and a half to four. But at the same time, knowing what his style is, knowing what his what he writes about, I'm already kind of invested in what he does. And so I'm gonna like it's it's almost like this, you know, if the expectation is I'm going to like it by default and it can only go down, um, that's, that's almost better than the opposite. Like I'm not going to like it and I should expect it to be better than it is. So for me, I thought he succeeded in what he had. He didn't, he didn't try to make it any more or less than what it was in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. on on that whole analysis, I completely agree with you. Um, I actually a big fan of, some of them knights films as well. And uh, you know, some of them just like everybody else, it's like, Nope. Um, but I tend to like them more than others. <laughs> but, uh, I think you, you hit it. You, you explained it really well. Um, so my final thoughts on this before we get to, we want to talk about one more scene um, are just that I, you know, I really loved, I really love everything he's done. I enjoyed Elysium, even though I didn't love it <clears throat> as much, but I did like it. I was entertained by it. And I'm excited for his next stuff. I'm excited for his Alien film. I, I mean, I really, I really can't wait for that. I, I just I want to see what he does with it.
1: Yeah, when I read that, that he was doing Alien, knowing that this wasn't an original story that he wrote, it makes me think about, um, and you and I have talked about this offline, seeing a director doing something that is, I don't want to say out of his comfort zone, but not normal. And it makes me think about, um, about uh, oh, I can't remember. Uh, uh, Christopher Nolan, thank you. Sorry. Makes me think about Chris Nolan's movie coming up next year, um, taking place in World War II. How this is a little different. This might be a little different take. It won't be a psychological thriller like his other ones.
0: Yeah, it's Dunkirk. And oh, yeah. I can't wait.
1: Yeah. So, in that same token, I'm excited to see Blomkamp's take on, uh, on an already established uh, property. For sure, so I think we've we're
0: gonna try a, a new thing again. Um, Where with our uh, our favorite scene here,
1: and you guys are an experiment for us.
0: You really are. We've we've come to 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 learn more and more about what we want this kind of section, this this last segment to be, our kind of wrap up segment here. And um, so we've noticed that when we both pick a favorite scene in the film from an emotional standpoint. We've picked the same thing, like three or four episodes in a row. And that tells me that we're pretty, pretty in lockstep with the way that we are viewing movies. So that's, that's what we're going to try for now. We're going to highlight the most impactful emotional scene in the film for us. The one scene that we feel describes the movie. If we had to tell everybody out there about one scene that in a nutshell summed up the ideas of a film or summed up the feeling that you got from a film or the, the most, uh, the most prominent feeling you got from a film, what would that be? And so that's, that's the scene that we're going to talk about in this section. And for Chappie again, uh, Patrick, you and I both came up with the same scene, um, was something that hit us hard emotionally and also really, uh, informed the entire rest of the film viewing for us do you
1: want to do you want to kick us off and talk about it sure it's the scene that um that follows the moment where ninja and america get Chappie to go with them in the van because they want to take him somewhere and i forget aaron you might have to you need to remind me were they going to they were, were they going to leave him so he could well, I'm not going to well, I'll just get to it. So they, they the goal was to... to
0: the goal was to leave him and make him go through people attacking him and not liking basically to experience uh people not being on his side and then make him forced to find his way home okay. so that he would then see them as saviors. See them as, "Oh, okay, it's life is way better with you than it is out there, so I'm going to I'll do what you want."
1: Gotcha. Okay. So leading up to that, they drop him off in front. uh, I think it's in a park or something in front of a bunch of gang members. And until this moment, these guys only know him as a cop. And so they are like kind of afraid of him. But they see his little mannerisms. They see him being very timid. And at some point, a rock is thrown at his head. And then time sort of slows down. This is where Blomkamp does things well. His slow-mo effect here, it works perfectly. We see Chappie just getting beat up, getting kicked, getting hit with you know rocks and sticks. And it's that moment in the movie that I personally began to have empathy for Chappie as a living organism, seeing how frightened he was and how sad he was um, as he was running away. Uh, he was humanized for me, and I was all in for the rest of the film, watching him grow up. I was rooting for him. He was no longer just a robot, and and I think this is partly attributed to um, to, to Copley's mocap performance. I mean, he was fantastic in this. Oh, he's
0: incredible. Yeah. Absolutely so, incredible, the way that he made Chappie feel so real. Like, he reacted realistically at every stage of his development, as you would expect. Um, and, and in this scene in particular, you know, it's, it's, it, it, that slow motion you're talking about happens at one point when he gets a Molotov cocktail thrown and just, he blo- and just blows up in this fire and he's yeah. just crawling off. Right. And just running away. And I forget, man, I wish I could remember his exact line of dialogue when he gets to the train tracks and he like, he's like smoking the, the, the fire's coming out Like, being put out, or has been, you know, put out finally, and he's leaning up against the wall, and he just, he can't understand, he's trying to process why this is happening, why people are being mean, and actually, you know, it's, it's a lengthy kind of sequence that we're talking about, but it's, it's so important to that character's development and the rest of the film, um, at one point he does, he does make that comment, and he, he just, he asks those questions like about why people are so violent, why everybody wants to hurt each other. (laughs) And, uh, man, it, it, it grabbed my heart and it, and it totally took me to that place. You use the word great empathy. It made me feel for him. It made me see him as more than a quirky little fun robot in a sci-fi movie that gets to have a personality, which we've seen a lot Wally, you know, and all these other ones, we, we see these, but, gosh, it it just, it was done so well. And then from that point on, yeah, you're just rooting for him. You just, you want him to win. You want him to be happy. You want him to kind of get a life and earn, earn his freedom. Uh, and so because of that, it's for sure my most impactful scene.
1: It was for me as well. I, I loved it. And, um, if I could give anyone an, opinion or advice, I would say, if you're not liking the movie, watch it until that point. And if you don't like it, then you can turn it off because I think that moment would really hit home with a lot of folks. Yeah, it's a great recommendation.
0: So that's, uh, that's it for Chappie. Um, last week we invited everyone to leave us a review and we've said we would read some on the air. So I thought maybe we could do that.
1: Sounds great, buddy. Let's do it. All right, so we've selected a
0: couple from iTunes uh, that we particularly love. The first one comes from Anthony Valley, and he wrote, The truth about watching movies is that everyone approaches the work with biases and assumptions that guide their experience. Critics reduce the creative work of teams of people to numbers designed, designed to guide the experience of future viewers. Feel and Film goes against this standard by isolating the greatness of the work and the positive emotional responses and film receives movies as a gift to enjoy rather than a project to grade. What a wonderful idea, man. We just want to say thank you so much, Anthony, because that point about us seeing movies as a gift rather than a project to grade is spot on. Um, that analogy, we could not have said that better ourselves and we are just so thankful for that awesome review.
1: Thank you, sir. So the other review we want to highlight comes from Christopher J. He says, having now listened to half of their episodes, I can say with confidence this will be a regular podcast on my listening rotation. The hosts have great chemistry, their thoughts are all well communicated, and the overall attitude and approach is refreshing among film podcasts. Give a listen to the TMNT and BVS episodes if you want a good sampling. Chris, thank you so much for that awesome review. We are incredibly grateful that you and others have taken time to write down how you feel about the show and especially thankful for you uh, listening to it. We're consistently humbled by the response from listeners and are really dedicated to putting out great content that is worth listening to. All right, so I guess that about wraps everything up. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Rolling the, you know, wrap it up. (laughs) Um, If you guys want to join in the conversation, we would love to hear from you. You can find me, on twitter at shoeless patch s-h-o-e-l-e-s-s-p-a-t-c-h you can also find me at facebook.com slash shoeless patch um you can uh, check out the show at feelingfilm.com or on twitter at feelinfilm and you can find it on facebook as well if you want to join in the group discussion facebook.com slash feelinfilm how about you aaron
0: yeah, you can find me everywhere on the internet as well at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Um, I believe the Facebook group is open, uh, but there should be a link somewhere in the info or the about page of the main Feel and Film Facebook page that can get you there. Um, if you want, we would love to have you join that group and come talk about movies with us. Uh, I also wanted to just do a quick, Note about, uh, I got to do a guest appearance last week uh, with Popcorn Theology, uh, some of my heroes in the popcorn, <laughs> in the popcorn world. <laughs> no, they're not <laughs> my heroes in the popcorn world. They are some of my heroes in the podcasting world. Um, they're the ones that we are doing our summer movie challenge with, which, by the way, uh, Richard went against the grain. The other three of us picked Civil War as our number one. He went with Finding Dory, and I'm getting a little nervous.
1: I am too. Ugh, maybe that was uh, not I, the best pick.
0: Yeah. I, even at the cost of losing though, I would, I kind of want to see Dory win. I think I it's do a, too. I, I do too. It's a, be- a better <laughs> film overall. So, um, anyway, what I was saying is I got to be a guest on that podcast, which was a really cool moment for me. Um, I got to pick the film for their 50th episode. And so we talked about one of my all time favorites. Um, usually kind of right. It's right around my top 10 and that is children of men. Um, great. Another great sci-fi movie, um, as well. So you can go check that one out on popcorn theology. If you are so inclined and next week, what are we doing next week? Let's see with theater. We were going to do independence day too. And we decided to scrap that idea because we're really bummed about what looks like it's going to be. Um, um I think
1: we're doing the BFG.
0: Ooh, that's right. We decided we're going to go with the BFG and let me clarify obviously our format lends itself to watching movies that are not, do not have great response and finding the best in them and independence day too very well may come up on a future episode, but the BFG neither Patrick or I have seen it or I'm sorry, neither Patrick or I've read the book. So we really don't have much to go on other than a trailer and we both love Spielberg and honestly just the fantastical nature of that trailer looks like it has some super emotional impact. And so that's the one we decided to go with.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one for sure.
0: And maybe a little blockbuster fatigue. I don't know about you, but
1: this is true. This is true. I've
0: seen a lot this year. So, all right. Well, until next time, stay positive.
1: And keep feeling film.
0: Bye-bye.